listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everyone for taking time out to uh, listen to this. Gosh, I think it's 117 episodes now that we've done over the last four years. Um, we have a great guest today, and I'm really excited to introduce him. We're recording this on May 31st of 2023. It's been a real interesting season throughout much of the uh, United States. Us over here on the West Coast are having troubles with uh, um, uh, salmon in regards to being able to fish for them. In California, they sort of shut everything down. And in the Pacific Northwest, um, the salmon haven't shown up yet, or at least the springers. So we're sort of uh, all waiting with bated breath in my part of the world, waiting for that mass of fish to come into our system, and uh, we can start uh, fishing for Chinook. Um, but other parts of the country are having great seasons with the fisheries that they have. And so anyway, we have a, a guest today that's from the southeast. I've known David for, uh, gosh, I'm, I think six months or so. Great guy, really interesting uh, uh, conversationalist. He's going to share a lot of cool things with us. Without much further ado, David, are you there? Let's rock and roll, Ted. <laughs> Let's rock and roll. David, you have a company called Fly Cash Charters out of St. Simons, uh, Georgia, and you've been doing that for quite some time. How long have you uh, been uh, uh, chartering out of, uh, out of Georgia, David? I've been running uh, Flycast Charters for 14 years, Ted. I was a victim of the Great Recession in 2009, <laughs> and I was let go from a corporate job and had to figure out a way to make a living. Oh, really? And there are only a couple of things I do well in life is one is fly fish and teach others how to do that. Oh, that's interesting. So you teach also, huh? Yeah, I'm a Federation of Fly Fishers certified instructor, uh-huh. uh, casting instructor, and I have been for... Probably close to 20 years now, Ted. No kidding. Good for you, man. Now you're uh, a, a great advocate for this sport. That That's awesome. So, David, how did you get such a, a great passion for fishing? Were you a young man when you started in? Ted, I guess I was five or six years old when I started fishing. No kidding. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think how it came about. Uh, and I did the cane pole bobber fishing with worms when I was a kid. Uh, I, it was a, when I was a young child, probably seven or eight, there was a man named Mr. Oakley and his son, Jimmy was his son. And Jimmy and I were best friends as really young kids. And he introduced it. He introduced me to it. He took me fishing. He took me on my first dove hunt. I shot a 12 gauge shotgun that almost knocked me down when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he started fly fishing. He, he started trout fishing. My family moved to Western North Carolina to Brevard, which is the center of some great fly fishing. Oh, yeah. Trout fishing. Yeah. And uh, he would come up and we would go. Uh, he would take me fishing and camping with him and to see Jimmy, and it was great fun. I first started out spin fishing. Yeah. There was a neighbor whose name I cannot recall who was a fly fisherman. And he also tied flies, and uh, one of the top flies for Western North Carolina is a simple yellow palmer fly, uh, and I just thought it was fascinating. And then outdoor life, 
Wallace read out for Life magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, kind of got inspired by that. When I was 12, I think I bought my first fly rod. And uh, the old Shakespeare Wonder Rod, which I still have and I have rebuilt. Oh, you do? And, really? uh, oh, no kidding. Yeah. And let's see. Yeah, I mowed grass as a kid to save up my money to buy it. I bought it at the Western Auto Store in Vermont, North Carolina. Oh, wow. Oh, that's Started cool. tying flies with my mother's fly tie, with my mother's sewing thread and yeah. no vice and holding it in my hands and plucking the cat for fur and <laughs> picking up feathers. I mean, there was nothing available back then. I mean, we're talking early 60s. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, no fly shops around or anything. Right, right. So you had to do what you had to do. Oh, and, wow. uh, caught my caught my first trout on a fly that I had made from plucking the cat. Rode my <laughs> bicycle to some stream up in western up near at the house in North Carolina. Yeah, and uh, it was a wild rainbow trout out of a plunge pool. Oh, I remember no it like kidding. it was yesterday. Really? So, so that that started the passion. There were various hiatuses through life with children and with college and universities and work and everybody's uh, everybody has the things they have to do rather than fish and sure they do. Yeah. Uh, probably for the last 25, 30 years, it's really been a passion of mine. I've built fly rods and spinning rods for uh, over 20 years. I'm a, a professor and was certified by the rod guild when it was in existence Right. as a professional rod builder. Yeah. Uh, I had a online company, Blue Ridge Rods in the late nineties. Um, made many fly rods, built, I think, 52 in one year, part-time. Wow, no kidding. So this has all been a passion of mine. I still build rods occasionally. Uh, I don't do it commercially anymore. Yeah. Uh, I did have a friend of mine ask me to show him how to build rods, and I hope this is not politically incorrect. And I said, well, I'll help you. I'll teach you how to build a rod if you teach me how to build an AR-style rifle. <laughs> So, well, really? No kidding. It's yeah, quite a trade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, I bought, I bought the rifle. I bought the rifle kit, all yeah. the components of the kit, and he bought his components, too. Oh, no but, kidding. Um, yeah. But it worked out real well. Built a 300 blackout. Oh, wow. No kidding. Oh, that's cool, man. So, and he's still working yeah. on his rod. So, fast forward a little bit. You started fly fish, uh, uh, Flycast Charters, what, about 2008, 2009, something like that? Is that 2009. About right? 2009, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and you were and you were fishing right where you were fishing today. Is that right? That's it. I've been concentrating on St. Simon's Island, Sea Island, Cumberland Island, Jekyll Island, so the Golden Isles of Georgia. Yeah, we're about halfway between Savannah and Jacksonville. Uh, there is an airport in Brunswick served by Delta, but most people fly into Jacksonville when they come to the area. Uh huh. Uh, the area is home to the Sea Island Resort, which attracts many, many people from around the world and around the country. Right. And then St. Simon's itself is a beautiful resort community. And uh, Jekyll Island is primarily a state park, but it also has some nice hotels. And many people come to Jekyll to go fly fishing. Oh, that's and cool. We go. <laughs> oh, very good. And, and you, you have, a, 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 I guess, a passion um, for redfish, is that correct? Yeah, you know, redfish are a great species for flies uh, and fly fishing. It's prime. It's almost exclusively sight fishing for them. 
Uh-huh. And I've always liked to have a target to cast to. Right. I've just never been a fan of blind casting a fly rod in salt water, particularly because it's a lot of casting and not a lot of catching. Right. And, uh, you know, even when I was trout fishing avidly, I, I was never really into swinging streamers to try to catch big trout. I was always into dry fly fishing because I had a target and I had to put the fly a foot above yeah. the rising fish. It had to drift up, you know, challenge the challenge portion of it, uh, the challenge portion. Yeah. So that kind of led to the sight fishing for redfish. Mm-hmm. And we, it's, I liken it to bone fishing. Um, I fish out of a technical polling skiff, a Maverick HPXZ, okay. which in my opinion is the best skiff for this area. Uh-huh. I mean, there are other fine skiffs on, on the market, um, but the Maverick's a great skiff. It's carbon and Kevlar. It's very light. It's fast. I've got an F-70 on it, 35, 37 miles an hour, wow. which is plenty fast for me. I find the older I get, the slower I go. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, and it floats in about eight or nine inches of water. They're certainly skinnier skiffs, but yeah. this gets skinny enough. And I pull the boat through 10 to 14 inches of water, and we look for the fish. And when we see a fish, you try to put a fly in front of them. Very good. And if the fish is cooperative and sees the fly, usually he'll take it. So you're, you're but you got to get it in front of it. Yeah, so they don't have an eye. They don't have eyes on their tail. Right, right. Good point. Yeah, you and they're be very... spooky as hell. Yeah, you're you're actually hunting, aren't you? We're hunting fish in the marshes of Glen. Yeah, that's the tagline to my business. Yeah, and uh, hunting fish in the marshes of Glen. Sidney Lanier penned a uh, poem in the late 1800s, I think, and it was entitled The Marshes of Glen. And uh, he's the poet laureate of the state of Georgia. Oh, no so kidding. I just decided my tagline was going to be hunting fish in the marshes of Glen. You can't go wrong with that. that that's awesome. And and, and, and and truly, it's like hunting, isn't it? I mean, if you're, you're it's, sight fishing. It's more hunting than fishing, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I liken it to still hunting for deer. Uh-huh. Um, hours of boredom followed by seconds of pandemonium. <laughs> Well, and and you are uh, you practice a lot of uh, catch and release also, uh, especially. For I am a hundred percent. I am a hundred percent catch and release on redfish. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody wants to keep a few trout for dinner, that's fine. Right. I'm not an advocate of catch your limit. I'm a strong, strong, strong advocate of limit your catch. Yeah. And let them go to let them grow. Yeah. Oh, very good. Very good. So, you know, the people that you take fishing, I, I would imagine you have a lot of really avid fishermen that come and, and want to fish with you, but do you also provide, uh, um, you know, people that are novices to the sport, the opportunity to come out and, and fish with you? Oh, of, of course. You know, the cast is pretty essential mm-hmm. to success in saltwater fly fishing. Right. And I am a Federation of Fly Fishers certified casting instructor. Okay. And I have been for probably the last 20 years, and I've given hundreds of lessons and instructed hundreds of novices and beginners. And I even offer a reduced rate than our fly casting prior to the charter oh, uh, okay. just to help them get ready for the charter uh-huh. because there's no sense taking a four-hour cast, uh, an expensive four-hour casting lesson, <laughs> you know? Right. And so... I, I try to help them all I can, both on land prior to and on the boat, on the boat there as well. And if I get somebody experienced, I just shut up and help them find fish. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what what sort of things are you teaching the novices when they when they come on board? Not only how to cast, but how to spot the fish and and it's I would a whole one. nine yards, man. Yeah. It's a whole nine yards. It starts at the ready position where you're ready for the saltwater quick cast. Um, it talks about the rod stroke length. It talks about the necessity of making tight loops. It talks about the I talk about the necessity of doing it quickly and accurately. I talk to them about how to see the fish. Our waters are typically very stained or somewhat stained, except during the winter months when they're as clear as they are in the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not actually seeing the fish many times, but what we're seeing is a push or a wake that this broad-headed redfish makes uh-huh. <clears throat> as he moves through shallow water. Right. And, you know, the, I, I, can't, I can't make the cast for him. I'm on the polling platform positioning the boat for them to make the cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, the cast has got to be pretty quick in front of and a little bit beyond the fish so it can be fished back to them. Right. I talk to them about stripping techniques. I talk to them about the necessity of making the strip strike. I talk to them about how to catch a big fish because many of these people haven't caught anything bigger than a nine-inch trout, mm-hmm. you know? And they're used to just stripping it in. Well, you can't strip our fish in. Right. You know, for the most part, you've got to get them on the reel and you got to fight them on the reel. And then there are proper techniques that you need to employ in order to tire a big fish quickly so we can let them go in good shape. Yeah. Oh, well, that's interesting, man. How, how big are the redfish around where you, where you where, uh, around well, St. Simon? I'd say the, I, I fish inshore, okay? Mm-hmm. So the inshore, the inshore fishery is the nursery ground for a redfish. The bull reds live in the ocean. Now, occasionally, you can get at them with a, uh, if you find them schooled up in the ocean or if you find them on the bars uh, spawning in the fall, you can throw a fly rod at them. But the, they spawn there in the fall. The bull washes inshore. The eggs hatch inshore. The, li- the reds live there for anywhere from three to five years. So they're 27 to 30 plus inches long. And then they go to the ocean to become bulls again. Oh, really? I would say they, they become bulls and the cycle repeats again, I should say. Right. And, you know, so what we're fishing for is we're fishing for the juvenile, immature, non-spawning fish. Uh-huh. Uh, I'd say the average size is five to six pounds. My personal inshore best on a fly rod is 15 pounds. Wow. And the personal inshore best for my boat is 16 pounds. Really? Wow. That, uh, and they put up quite a fight, don't, don't they? <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, they're, they're like a bulldog. Yeah. You know, they're not like a bonefish where they go, and takes about a 10 pound one to get you to your backing. Yeah. The others don't necessarily get you to your backing. And I use a fairly heavy drive. Right. I, it's important to me to get the fish in quickly mm-hmm. and not tire him out so we can revive him and release him. Right. I am 100% catch and release on redfish. Yeah. Now, are, are you catching other species of fish while you're fishing for redfish? It, you know, Ted, honestly, it's difficult to do a hardcore, dedicated sight fishing trip to 
the cushion include other things in it. Okay. You know, my trip, my trips typically run five to six hours. Uh-huh. You're pretty doggone tired after that. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And yes, occasionally we can go in the fall if the trout are schooling. Uh, we can find a we can find a, a school of speckled sea trout and cast a fly to them. It's primarily blind casting. Mm-hmm. And at this time of year in May. We've got a very unique fishery of free-floating triple tail in the ocean in front of Jekyll. And they make a really great alternative. Yeah, you know, usually I'll extend the trip by an hour or so if they want to. And if the weather's right, and we can go in front of Jekyll and look for free-floating triple tail. Um, Very, very difficult quarry on a fly rod. But when you hook one, they run and they jump and they take off. We just keep the fish for them. We simply idle around about one to three miles offshore of Jekyll, uh-huh. and we look for something. We look for them, and they look like a trash bag floating in the water. Oh, no! They're kidding. floating on their side. Mm-hmm. They're really fl- unique. They're floating on their side. Really? Why is yep. that? They're free floating. Yeah. Nobody really knows. People say they're up there to warm up. Other uh-huh. people say it's spawning behavior. Right. Others, they're trying to imitate some flops and to attract bait fish. Mm-hmm. The DNR, nobody really knows. My opinion, I think it's spawning behavior. Oh, really? Okay. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll be darned. I'll be darned. Now, now you you have a kind of a unique relationship with Orvis, do you not? Well, I've been an Orvis endorsed guide for 13 or 14 years now. Uh-huh. And basically what that means is that uh, an Orvis endorsed guide has been vetted by Orvis. Um, you can be assured if you book an Orvis endorsed guide, Nothing is 100%, but really in the high 90th percentile that you're going to have somebody out there who knows what he's doing, who's not spitting tobacco into a can, Mm -hmm. and who is interested in your having a wonderful experience and uh, experiencing the awe and the wonder of of the outdoors, as Orvis puts it. Mm -hmm. And I really love my relationship with Orvis. Yeah. Um, it's good for them and it's good for me. And it really helps potential clients be assured that uh, they're going to have a quality experience right. anywhere you go right. in the world. Right. Now, and recently, it, yeah. I became an Orvis endorsed outfitter. Okay. And basically, what that means is I have other guides to whom I refer trips mm-hmm. when I'm not available. And over the past several years, I found myself turning down so many trips because I was booked. Right. And I contacted Pete Kutzer at Orvis a couple of years ago, and we discussed becoming an outfitter. Pete and one of his uh, colleagues came down and fished with myself, Michael uh, Garcia, Captain Michael Garcia, Captain Carl Evans, and Captain Dave Snyder, Uh just to make sure they were quality. And I've been an endorsed, this is my second year as an endorsed outfitter with them. Wow. Congratulations. That sounds like. So, I mean, at least, you know, we we can make sure people, people have a great experience. And that's what it's all about. People having a great experience, in my opinion. Absolutely. And for people that don't quite understand that relationship, it's a lot more than just a sticker on the side of the boat, isn't it? I mean, you're listed on their website and, and, uh, they refer um, um, clients and customers to you, and you have this this kind of symbiotic relationship with them, which is really neat. Yeah, that's that's, that's correct. I mean, it's 
you know, I use oilless equipment. It gives people a chance to fish with the oilless equipment. I had a guy who was a big Sage fan on board. Uh-huh. And when the H3s just came out, uh, he fished with the H3, and I fished it again a year later. And he said, oh, by the way, I have an H3 now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, good for us. It's good for me. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And, and it's good for the clients. It's, you uh-huh. know, it's a triangle. It's right. a triangle. When all, when all three legs of the triangle connect, it's a good deal. Everybody. Uh, absolutely. And speaking of, I mean, yeah, speaking of diversity like that, I mean, the other thing that, that I understand about you is that you will also take kind of extravagant trips to uh, uh, different locations around the globe and take um, your, you know, clients and groups of clients with you. Uh, this year yeah. you've been to where, what, Belize and Cuba? In such a- yeah, Belize and Cuba. Mm-hmm. Wow, really? No. Well, care. I wouldn't call them extravagant. I would call them more fly fishing safaris. Oh, I like that. Okay. Because some of them require a lot of travel to get to remote places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, we'd fished uh, Ascension Bay and Punta Alice, and I've taken a group down there for probably the last seven years. Uh-huh. And it requires an hour and a half, two hours ride over the world's dirt, worst dirt road you can possibly imagine. Oh, wow. Really? Um, the, the flight to to Brazil, to Manaus in Brazil is about eight hours. Uh-huh. And then you have to take a charter plane to, uh, oh, I forget where we landed. And then you get on, then you get on the mothership and you sail overnight to where you're going to fish. So they're really safaris. No um, kidding. Belize, Belize was, uh, Belize was just much easier. Mm-hmm. Not too hard to get to, which is nice. Right. And they're, they're like direct flights from most major airports to Belize at least once a day. Sure. Uh, Belize City. Uh-huh. And then the first year we went to Cuba, it was right after COVID, and we had to freaking fly to Toronto, spend the night, and then get on a 6 a.m. flight to uh, Cuba. <laughs> really? And Yeah, we don't have to do that now. It's easy now. I left here in February, last February, where we went at 6.30 in the morning, and I was in Havana at 10.45 the same day oh, in my. the morning. Oh, my, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, and then a three-hour three car ride bus ride to the port where we hopped on the mothership Georgiana where we fished for slept for seven days and fished six days. It was wonderful. Yeah. Best fishing I've ever had. And you fished for what, tarpon there? Is that what you were fishing for? Well, well yeah, we, we, we were there in February so the giant tarpon were not there. Oh, but we wow. had a fabulous, fabulous time fishing for uh, baby tarpon. One boat one day put 14 or 17 or something like that in the boat yeah. one day. Uh we were fishing for bonefish. I was fishing with a friend of mine, and we were catching bonefish after bonefish. So we decided after we caught 10 apiece, we'd go fish for permit. Holy moly, and, really? And, yeah, we caught 10 apiece before 10 o'clock in the morning, I think, and fished for permit the rest of the day. Really? Where I blew seven shots at permit. Permit are hard to catch. Yeah. And uh, so bonefish were everywhere. Big bonefish, five to six pound bonefish. The biggest bonefish landed that week was 11 pounds, and the second largest was 10 pounds. Holy and there were tons of seven or eight pound bonefish landed. It's, really? it's an amazing. Cuba is an amazing fishery. Wow! And how amazing. many? Yeah, how many people did you have with you on that trip? I think there were seven okay. on that particular trip. Uh-huh. But I've had as many as 16. Oh, um, my goodness! Really? We had 16 that went to Belize last fall, and. I think I've got 13 or 14 now, and i got three or four spaces open for November of this year. 
Uh-huh. And we go to we go to Blue Bonefish Lodge in Amber Grease K. Oh, really? Wonderful, yeah. wonderful lodge. Great yeah. experience. Great yeah. experience. And our our friend Chris runs that, doesn't he? Chris Lehman, he sure does. Like that's how I got in touch with you. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and down in Belize, it's uh, bonefish and permit, and you've got some other species of fish you can fish for down there, too. Can't, oh, my gosh. Yeah, bonefish, permit, baby tarpon, jacks. You can go bait fishing if you want to one day and fish for snapper, which a couple did one day, and we had the snapper for dinner that night. Uh, look-down fish, or as they say, look-down fish. Uh, <laughs> You know, permit permits the primary quarry if the weather's right. Right. But bonefish, bonefish are everywhere there as well. Wow. And, and and so you put these trips together, a couple of them a year? Is that what you do, David? Yeah, I do. Uh, I've got this trip in November planned. Uh-huh. I have a trip back to Cuba in February 24. Okay. Which is already full. Uh-huh. And I am planning a trip back to Cuba the end of October 24. Uh-huh. Um, it's a great trip. This is a, the one in the one in November is a land-based trip, and it's very affordable. Really? Like $3,800, $3,900 for the week. No kidding. That's all inclusive. Mm-hmm. No kidding. That is affordable, isn't it? It really is. Wow. Wow. Well, that, uh, gosh, good yeah. for you, man. And, and yeah, you, we've, been to, we've been to Casablanca. In Ascension Bay, we've been to uh, Casa Viejo Chack many times in Ascension Bay. Yeah. Fish with Michael Michael Williams, Nomadic Water Charters, uh, for peacock bass in Brazil. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of time changes. I traveled a lot in industry. Uh-huh. I'm not a big fan of long airplane flights. Right. <laughs> so the beauty of flying into Cancun is it's a three-hour flight from Atlanta, two-hour flight from Orlando. And for me, going to Havana, like I said, I left at 6.30 in the morning. was there at 10.45 in the morning. Wow, no kidding. No kidding. Easy. Yeah. No, zero, zero issues with immigration, either going or coming. It's a, it's, it's a lot easier to get to than people think. Yeah, no kidding. Especially, and, especially... and if you want to spend a couple of days in Havana after the trip, spend a couple of days in Havana, explore Havana. Mm-hmm. I understand that's an incredible city, absolutely incredible city. Yeah, I, I wish I had. I wish I had stayed. I've got, I've got a link, I think, on my website to the Google album about the Cuba trip. Okay. To the uh, Google, if, if we don't, I'll add it. Um, but it, just just pictures of Havana as well as the fishing and the fish and the uh, mothership we were on. Yeah, I don't know what the link is right now. It's a complicated link. I couldn't say it anyway. Right. But uh, anyway, I've got links to Google albums from all the other trips I've done. Oh, awesome, man! Uh, awesome. I, yeah, you you have a really uh, a good talent for archiving everything that you've done. I mean, the, the amount of photos that you have and the experiences. Uh, you know the. the You've done a really good job of, of uh, historically putting that all together, and, and uh, you know a lot of uh, a lot of people in the industry don't do that, and and I think that's so important, you know, and and for what you do for people, and and I've said this many times before on this on this show, that um, you know you've got a really special job 
And that, that job is, is that you're, you're helping people make lifetime memories. And I, I still, you know, challenge somebody to say differently that, you know, if you've got somebody that you've taken out multiple times and you've fished and they've got some incredible fish and you've had great experiences, you know, when, when that day comes, when they're going to leave this earth, I don't think many of those guys are fit, are thinking about all the business deals that they put together. You know, they're, they're thinking about that day on the water, you know, catching that eight pound redfish, you know, with Captain David. I think that's, you know, what most people think about is those types of experiences and, and, and having family with them and that sort of thing. And you're, you know, you're, you're the, you're the guy putting all of this together. You're the orchestrator of it. And, uh, you you know, your work is just, you know, is commendable because you've made differences in people's lives that you probably don't quite realize, you know? You know, I really didn't realize that until I took a young woman out who was in healthcare during COVID. Uh And the review that she left on the Orvis site, um, it, Anybody can look at all the reviews. I've got 125 five-star reviews on the Orvis site. Wow. Um, talked about her feeling as if she could live again. She was in respiratory therapy or something like that. Uh-huh. And this was during the height of COVID. And she she talked about her being able to live again and realize what life was really like again when she got out there fishing with me. Mm-hmm. And I still take her and her son fishing. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, one, 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 first name's Nance, and I'll leave it at that. Lives here in St. Simons. Oh, wow. And uh, her son's name is Paul. Yeah. And, you know, I took Paul out not too long ago. We went out to F3 in my other boat and caught a bunch of little bites sea bass, and I think we had a good time. Oh, that's awesome. But, you know, it, one of the great things about what I do now is when I was in industry, it was all about the bottom line. It was all about the margin. It was all about hitting sales quotas. Mm-hmm. And all about people with sour faces when they're in meetings. Well, the people that I work with now all have smiles on their face. How could it get any better than that? You make a very good point. You make a very good point. You know, David, I, I appreciate the opportunity and you taking all this time out for us today and, and sharing what you have um, I mean, it'd be an incredible experience to come fishing with you. But, you know, I've got one question that I ask most of our guests that, that are our guides or charter captains, and I'd love to have you share your answer. And here's the question. Let's say that, you know, tonight you go to bed and you have this vivid dream. I mean, it's, you know, one of those realistic ones that sometimes are in, in color and, and all that. And the dream is about you fishing and that tomorrow when you wake up is going to be your last time on the water and you believe that in the heart of hearts when you wake up you go oh my god you know this is a sign you know and i've i've got one more fishing trip to do and the question to you is where would you go fishing what would you fish for and who would you want to be fishing with i would probably fish here mm-hmm I would probably be by myself, Uh and I probably would not fish. I would probably just enjoy the awe and wonder of our area. Oh, really? That is awesome. Yes, yes. Too often when we go places fishing, we don't stop and look at where we are. 
Yeah, and right. I don't care if you're salmon fishing in Alaska or trout fishing in Wyoming or Vermont or the Blue Ridge Mountains or bone fishing in Belize. Too often we don't stop and realize the beauty of where we are. Mm-hmm. And if it was going to be my last day on the water, I would probably just motor around slowly mm-hmm. and cry and check it out. Yeah. Ah, you give me goosebumps, man. That, uh, that very profound. I wouldn't expect any different from you on that. That is awesome, man. <laughs> so if somebody wants to get a hold of you, I know you book up quick. How, how do they get a hold of you to, to book a trip, you know, to come to Georgia and fish with you or get on one of your, your safaris, if you may? Well, this is going to sound like a commercial, but the best way to get in touch with me is through my website, flycastcharters.com. Mm-hmm. Flycastcharters, plural, all one word, dot com. Okay. Uh, my telephone number is there. Call me or text me. Send me an email to flycastcharters at gmail. And if I can't pick up the phone, leave a voicemail, and I'll typically get back to you with less than a day. Yeah. Yeah, you're really good about that. And, and I, I can't underscore that enough. I mean, you are a busy guy, and especially during the peak seasons and that sort of thing. And, you know, I mean, you're, you know, uh, you've got all sorts of people that want to come fishing with you. And so, you know, if you've got somebody coming to Georgia on Friday and trying to call you on Friday to schedule a trip on Saturday, it usually doesn't happen, does it? It's probably not going to happen. But, yeah. you know, with a little bit of uh, leeway on their part, and with the addition of the additional three captains I have, mm-hmm. we can typically get somebody on the water. Yeah. Well, very good. That, that's good to know. That is good to know. Captain David, thank you so much for being a, what a great guest you are. And uh, just, <laughs> it's been know, a ble- pleasure talking to you. And thank you for asking me to participate in this. Test. Well, our pleasure. We're looking forward to getting you back on, on the show in the future. And, uh, hearing about more trips abroad and, and just talking a little bit more about uh, uh, fishing in Georgia. But uh, I wish you the best. Well, season. if they want to go abroad, you better get your passport early. Well, yeah, so true. <laughs> so true. Well, thank you so I, much, I'm going to say it again. Okay. Flycastcharters.com. Very good. Tight lines, my friend. You too. Tight lines, Dad. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye.